Welcome to Event FOMO. This is your catch-up for events and lectures you wish you had gone to but didn't get to. No wonder FOMO, fear of missing out, is a thing. With the magic of podcasting, we bring you the event's essentials. Episode 1, the University of Melbourne 2017 Professional Staff Conference, entitled Creating Connections. Hello, I'm Dr Andy Horvath. And I'm Claudia Hooper. Claudia and I are gate-crashing a conference. Yes, we're knowledge nerds. We're gate-crashing the 2017 Professional Staff Conference run by the University of Melbourne. Claudia, what are the themes? Themes are people, passion, process and place. So we're here to make connections with people, find out a bit more about what's going on in the university, how we can get to know people a little bit better and work together. And we're also here for a few cheeky mandarins, some tasty food and a couple of coffees. We're going to capture this conference through the minds of the participants. Yep, we're going to trawl the tea and coffee sessions and get commentary about the conference. We're also going to tackle some speakers and find out about the insights they're delivering in 2017. Come on. Are you excited? Yes. Okay, so let's get going. We have Dr Charlie Day. Chief Executive Officer of Innovation and Science Australia. So please uh, join me in welcoming Charlie Day to the stage. Thank you. Dr Charles Day, what is your take-home message for today? Take-home message for today is it's all very easy when the pressure's on and you're incredibly busy to retreat into a shell and focus just on doing what you feel comfortable doing and think what you think is most important. But connections and, and reaching out to other people helps you do your job but also helps them to do their job and can really strengthen what you can achieve in your career. So look for those connections. Never doubt that they're really, really important in what you do. What's the title of your talk to University of Melbourne professional staff I'm not even sure that I've got a title for my talk, but if there was one, it would be that innovation is a team sport, because I really do believe that in trying to make change and try to do things differently, inherently you need to draw on the strengths and the capabilities of other people. And so uh, I guess one of the themes that runs through my talk today is in everything that you do, connections are being made, or there are connections that you can draw on, even if you don't realise that. Uh, And I've got a few stories where I've been surprised by some of the connections that have rippled out from the work that I've done or where I've been able to leverage connections in unexpected ways to get my job done. One anecdote I'll be telling today is actually a reasonably fresh one. It comes from only a few weeks ago. And in my new role for my first experience of going into the cabinet room in Parliament House, which is a, quite a dawning experience, it's a electronics-free zone, so you have to take off your watch and take out your phone and your iPad, leave all that behind. You can't have anything electronic in the room. And, uh, and I was in that cabinet room for my first ever meeting of the Commonwealth Science Council. And one of the people sitting next to me, who's a member of the Commonwealth Science Council, started telling me about this fantastic startup company that he'd met the day before, which was doing amazing things to repurpose old rechargeable batteries, and how it was fantastic that this really talented researcher, who happened to come from the University of Melbourne, had been supported by the university to help develop this startup and spin it out, and they were doing great things and engaging internationally and all that kind of stuff. Essentially, this person who was a member of the Commonwealth Science Council was pitching me on a program that I'd worked on when I was at the University of Melbourne, the Melbourne Accelerator Program. And so I guess the the lesson for me there was that you never know who you're going to impact or or who you're going to touch with the work that you do. So you've got to make sure every project you do is a winner because there's nothing better than having someone else pitch back to you the quality of a project that you were involved in. You 
you said it was very important to look at other people's capabilities. Sometimes people can be ignored or overlooked. How do you teach people to actually look for the best in others and how they can contribute and how they can be leveraged? The key, I think, to getting the best out of other people is to be a really good listener and to actively listen. And that's a skill that a lot of people talk about, but I think it's something you can cultivate over time to really understand what people are saying to you and understand deeply the messages they're trying to communicate. I think that way you can learn and and hear what people are trying to do, and that in turn enables you to identify, okay, well, how can I help you or how can you help me? Uh, And in this grand network of connections that I think is critical to doing innovation and doing your job well, uh, that's a critical enabling skill. Dr Charles Day, thank you very much. Tell us who you work for. I work for the Faculty of Veterinary and Agricultural Sciences. So I'm just curious, Stuart, what did you get out of the session? Charlie ended with a note on radical candour, being very open and honest about both good and bad things. I think that's really valuable. And I think I might want to bastardise something that he said. Can I say the word bastardise? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Failure is a team sport. You need to fail as a team and work together when you fail because failure is where the learning comes in. I really liked a lot of the things that he said about innovation in Australia because I studied in science. I think that is going to be increasingly important um, yeah, to build our, ourselves as a knowledge economy in Australia. So I really liked that. Um, and I thought some of his advice about building trust was yeah, really valuable as well. Good morning, you've come to the conference. Who are you? Uh, my name's Monica. I work in the fundraising team in the Faculty of Arts. Now, what are you hoping to get out of this conference? Uh, I'm hoping to connect with a wider bunch of people across the university and kind of understand how we all work together to make the university run. Is there a particular session that you're keen on going to? I'm really keen on learning about our Indigenous Reconciliation Action Plan, so I'll be going to that session. And our next speaker, I think, will bring um, a different and really unique perspective to our theme of creating connections, both through her personal uh, experiences of creating connections in a new community, as well as her research work looking at themes around gender and religion uh, in contemporary Australia. And I'm very excited to hear her speak. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Susan Carlin. Dr. Susan Carlin, you're a keynote speaker here at conference. Introduce yourself to our audiences. Okay, well, that's a bit terrifying to be introduced as the keynote speaker. I am an academic at Monash University. I teach in the National Centre for Australian Studies. I did my PhD in politics and sociology. That's about it. I'm a mum. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, Susan, what is your take-home message for today? What is it that you want to do out there in about 10 minutes? You're on at the keynote. How are you going to change us? Well, so the whole theme is, as you know, creating connections. So my central premise is that it sounds really trite, but there's never actually been a, t- a more pressing time for creating connections. If you look at the public conversation at the moment, we are all so much in our own silos. We're seeing this massive ideological split. Everyone's, uh, thanks to social media and the way algorithms work, everyone's own opinions are just being reinforced and entrenched in ourselves. And no one is, even though we feel more connected, we've actually never been less connected. So how do we sort of jump over that? And not only how, but why should we? Why does it matter? So I'm trying to get a, you know, I'm going to try to get through all of that. Do you have any ideas about how to overcome that? I mean, you just mentioned the, mm. the algorithms that mean that we just constantly see our own sort of the same posts. Yes. I just see the same Guardian articles all the time yeah. and so do my friends. Do you have any ideas about what we can do to change mm. that? 
Well, it, it's a tricky one because it's not, the problem is it's not just social media. Social media is a big part of it, the way it all works. But even the way we all self-select just the, the mainstream media we engage with, you know, if you're left-leaning, you're more likely to watch this outlet, listen to that one, read this one. If you're right, you're more, you're going to lean more towards this way. So even without social media, it really, it's, we reinforce ourselves. And so it's something we have to consciously try to step over. And one of the things I talk about in my speech is that don't expect that this will be easy and don't expect that everyone's going to like you. You're probably going to get your head kicked in a few times, hopefully figuratively, not literally, but you need to do it because this matters so much. You know, when Trump was elected and there was all this conversation either about how on earth did that happen? I don't know anyone that likes Trump, but similarly other people saying, who on earth would have thought Hillary would win? I don't know anyone that likes Hillary. It was the shock that was the most illustrative in that situation. It wasn't just that Trump won. It was the shock that people on both sides couldn't see where the other side was coming because there's no uh, communication across that. So you're suggesting really that the future citizen Mm. needs to look beyond their own tribes because, in fact, that social media premise is sort of like concentrating that tribalism. And your call to action, for want of a better word, is, hey, look at what other tribes are doing take in some inspiration from those that perhaps speak to you and uh, just make sure your eyes are open. Yeah, but the thing is, it's tricky. Like, our brains are wired to adhere to our own tribe. You know, we are all the stuff we hear about unconscious bias, it's real. No matter how open-minded we like to think we are, we all have unconscious bias and our brains have wired that way. Like, many, many, many years ago, this is how we've been programmed. So just being aware of that is a good thing. And then when we hear ourselves saying things like, but I don't know anyone that would vote no to the same-sex marriage thing, that should be our first, like, wake-up call to ourselves. Well, hang on a minute. There's a lot of people out there on that issue, for example, that are going to vote no. And if you're saying, I don't know anyone like that, you are in a silo and you need to say to yourself, okay, well, how am I going to get beyond that? I'm going to give you a megaphone that speaks to all primary school children in Australia. What are you going to tell them? Ask lots of questions. That would be the main thing I say. Keep asking questions. And if you don't like the answers you get, keep asking. You heard Dr Susan Carland. She's saying, stay curious. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. I didn't have a great answer for that. I was like, what would I say to my 10-year-old? I don't know. Do your homework. Make your bed. (laughs) It's absolutely gorgeously real. So tell me whereabouts in the university you work. Yeah, my name's Dale Baum. I work for the Centre of Research Excellence in Total Joint Replacement. And yeah, we're trying to change the landscape of Total Joint Replacement in the next five years, trying to save the Australian economy $10 billion annually. Trying to save the joint, as it were. Now, what do you want to get out of the conference today? What are some of the main things that you're hoping to learn or the people that you want to be meeting with? I just love coming here. It's great to see a good snapshot of the university and just getting to know different people from different areas because I'm from science, you know, I'm not necessarily in professional services. Did you hear Dr Charles Day? What did you think of his talk? What bit did you like? It's great to see where you can go after a long career at the university. I really liked the fact that he touched on winning. You know, it's good to win all the time, but also that failure should be part of that and it's not just for us as adults to learn, but it's also for our kids to learn as they come through. Okay, Dale, as a speaker, can we interview you? What is the opening line of your talk? I'm going to talk about science. Science breeds innovation. Innovation leads to technology. Technology impacts society. And this is where we start with the students from Year 9 and 10. This is where we plant the seeds. Dale, thank you. 
Hi, I'm Jessica Brody. I work in research, innovation, and commercialization in the international grants team. So we support researchers in basically developing their grant application and support them in finding international funding. So what we wanted to talk about today is kind of the challenges and opportunities that we found over time over those four years. One of the things we wanted to be in the place category for the conference is because a lot of our team members are international, right? I'm from the U.S., so I already speak the U.S. thing, and when I came here, I had to learn the Australian words. And so we put together a small dictionary, which is still what we use for our new starters, right, as a resource for helping with those communication differences. Off the top of your head, can you give me a couple of examples of those differences? It's always quite fun to realise what, what we say here and how, how it's perceived as a little strange overseas. They're not really fun examples, but we work a lot with budgeting, right? And so we often find ourselves explaining the difference between on-cost and fringe benefits. And even there are times when I pop my head up and I say, wait a minute, fringe benefits is on-cost, right? Or is it indirect costs? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you guys to all introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Pian Zhang. If you want to remember me, it's piano without the O. I don't play piano, I paint. And I graduated from University of Melbourne in 2013. I'm Thomas Feng. I graduated from the university in 2015 and I've worked across Chancery Marketing Communications, Student Recruitment at Faculty of Business and Economics and I'm now at Melbourne School of Design in Marketing Communications. I'm Laura Fernandez. I also graduated from the university in 2015, and I loved it so much that I came back to work in the graduate program. Now, one thing I really liked about your presentation was the title, Mythical Millennial. Now, when I hear that, I kind of think of this magical IT unicorn, because I know in the office there's this kind of idea that if you're a millennial, then you can solve any problem on the computer. How do you guys go about negotiating the kind of stereotypes that come around with being a millennial and how people in the office might expect you to be? It's about bringing that youthful energy and those new ideas, but also doing it in a way which is very, very professional and, and showcasing those new ideas through my work. I know that there's always going to be people who are a lot more experienced than I am that have that organisational knowledge. So for me, being the, the mythical millennial is about breaking that stereotype of being entitled or being demanding or not being able to handle a no. A similarity between all the graduates is that we're really, really curious and we love to learn and that we love working around the entire university and meeting everyone. One of the things that I found most interesting in your presentation was the tension but also the positives between moving from being a student to an employee of the university. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think the, there is a big benefit in being a recent grad by being able to bring our experiences to the table to represent the student voice. But on the same note, there's a challenge in drawing the line in friendship because I like to be able to relate to the students and to build up those friendships. But at the same time, to get things done, there needs to be some level of I'm a staff member and you're a student, so this is what we're going to do. In this program, you've got mentors and you've got a very close network through the alumni in the program and yourselves. How important has that been for you? I'm really grateful for that because I can really go to them and ask for advice. And is there anything I need to consider before I make this really important decision? 
I think what's been important with those mentors is that we've been able to talk about work, but we've been also been able to talk about life in general and that we've been able to establish rapport beyond a colleague status. And I think I could call them my mentors, but I can also call them really close friends because they've been able to help me with those sticky situations at work, which require that sort of experience and that knowledge, but also helping out with those decisions outside of work. I think the role of the mentor has been really valuable for me as well. My mentor was in a completely different team to me, so that gave me a different perspective and I was able to draw upon her experience as a role model, as a female leader, not even considering the role itself. And also within the graduate program, we have buddies. Because there's only 25 of us in the program to date, we're a lot smaller than a lot of other graduate programs in other big companies and that means that we do have a really tight network of people who are going through the same thing at the same time as us, because it is quite unusual for us to be rotating in the way we do to really broad areas of the university. Okay, take home message for us. What's one thing we should know about millennials? Encourage innovations and ideas to improve process. Invest in them and future-proof your work. Millennials' career paths aren't going to be linear, so draw upon their breadth of experiences. Elizabeth, what's your advice? Because you've worked with them. Make the most of their fabulous energy and breadth of interests, but also help to manage their expectations. Thank you so much, guys. And I look forward to touching base on email. Or Slack. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I just went to the best session ever. In fact, I couldn't help but run up and hug these people because there is hope for our planet. They are... Sam Williams. And I'm Sue Hopkins. We're in the sustainability team within Infrastructure Services. Now, when we think sustainability, we think, yeah, it'd be nice, but it's just too hard. You've actually broken through this. You've got people doing things. Tell us how you did this. So we have launched a program called Green Impact, and it's a change and engagement program where staff get into teams and then they compete against each other to do sustainability actions in their workplaces. And that means that people who felt a bit isolated about sustainability before, who didn't know what to do, they didn't know what they could contribute, now they're part of a big network of 300 people across 30 teams who've done more than 500 actions this year at the university so far. Now, you've called this the Green Impact Challenge. How important is it to have It sounds like an almost competitive element to it. So the Green Impact program definitely has a a slightly competitive program. That's the aim, to get people enthused, to motivate people. Because as we all know, sometimes a little bit of healthy competition actually gets people doing more, makes a bigger impact. So the idea is that people get into teams and that they can work with each other collaboratively. And uh, we have an award ceremony at the end of the year to celebrate the actions and the things that they've done. And uh, people obviously vie for the top spot. Give us an example of some of these actions because you've got bronze, silver and gold actions and I imagine some people go in at the bronze level thinking, okay, we're going to start small. So what are some examples of bronze actions? Yeah, so bronze actions are the easiest. Each of the actions are broken up into categories like water, travel, biodiversity, procurement, things like that. So one of the travel ones is that 50% of your Green Impact team comes to work on a bike or walking or in a share car or public transport, but not driving their own vehicle. So that's one of the actions, just 50% of your team. Should be pretty straightforward. We've tried to make it as broad as possible. So there's actions about procuring ethically. There's actions about having pot plants in your office, about running competitive programs where you do stepathlons. There's things about traveling to work, things about switching off light switches and making sure you don't have dripping taps, all sorts of things, but generally small actions that people can actually do that aren't too hard for a team to achieve. 
Now, you brought up that sneaky word procurement. How do you deal with these bigger things where, say, a group within an office, they don't have much agency, they can't really change the toilet paper manufacturer or those sorts of things? Are you guys working towards those broader changes as well? We tell people to do what they can within the remits that they've got. Some teams can easily change those actions and some teams can't. So what we say to people, if you can't influence things yourself, come to us and the sustainability team and we will generate that feedback and we will see what we can do. So we're working with procurement teams. We're working with people in energy and things like that, looking at solar panels, etc. for roofs. So we will look at the wider, more organisational infrastructure type things and see how we can make a difference for everybody. Tell me about some of your case studies at the University of Melbourne. Tell me about the office of the Rice Chancellor. Yeah, that's not a typo. They decided that they would have a bit of a pun in their team name, but they are from the Vice Chancellor's office. There's a really committed, great team up there. And one of the things that they've done with the Green Impact Program is that they found that in council and senior executive meetings, they were using loads of disposable coffee cups all the time, and they were all going in the bin. So they decided, why don't we get these people using keep cups? Everyone's got their own labeled keep cup now with the kind of coffee that they want. And those guys put them in the dishwasher. It's a little bit of extra work for them, but from their perspective, it was completely worth it. Now tell me about the Bio 21 tree huggers. What are they up to? (laughs) So Bio 21, basically, when they came to us and said about creating a team, they actually said we want to influence the whole building. Myself and Sam were like, my gosh, that's like 600 people. But they've done a fantastic job. So their recent one, they had a plant sale, a pot plant sale. They're obviously a big laboratory, a bit of a sterile environment. So they basically decided they wanted to get plants in there, so increased health and well-being. And they had a pot plant sale and it was very successful. In um, external relations, we've got the exciting opportunity that we're moving buildings fairly soon. Do either of you have any tips for something that we can do to have a clean slate to you know, really make an impact when we do this move? From an attitude perspective, if you're moving buildings, this is the time to have a new change in attitude. This is exactly the time to get on board with the programme and make those changes that you've always wanted to make. Make sure the right bins are in place, get your keep cups. When you're moving, it's the time for change. I went into your session thinking, OK, this, is, this green impact stuff is too hard, but I walked out thinking, no, this is a can-do. Yeah, the whole point of the program is that no matter where you are in the university, no matter what department, whether that's something that's traditionally associated with sustainability or not, you can do something small. The actions are easy to achieve. They're fun. They're simple. You can tick off one. You can tick off 20. It's up to your team. You can make it what you want to be. So the Green Impact Program, it's supposed to be achievable and doable for people. We're very, very passionate about sustainability. And the whole point is that we've created a network of people who are also passionate about sustainability and who now have a network of people to support them that they can go on and fulfil that passion and do the things that they want to do. Thank you. It was a wonderful presentation. I almost fainted. It was so good. (laughs) What were you hoping to get out of the staff conference today? Look, I'll be honest, I was one of those people who came here not really knowing what to expect. Um, There's a lot of people from the university here from different faculties, different areas, you've got chancery, you've got university services. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is just kind of a bit of oversight over the university, seeing what everyone's up to, the different expertise everyone has. And what's been your favourite session so far or something that's come out of a session that surprised you? Um, so my favourite session, Claudia, has been The Power of Visuals to Communicate by Chantal and Sebastian. Uh, a really fantastic presentation on really simplifying communications, which is something I find really interesting. But hang on, we're a podcast, we're not visual communication. I think you should take it up with them. I think uh, it'd be a really interesting discussion. I think um, podcasting is one of those new mediums as well. You know, we talk about graphics being the way you catch people, but uh, podcasts are kind of in the same space at the moment, aren't we? 
So what have you got out of the conference? What's one of the take-home messages and which session did it come from? For me, I think getting out and having conversations away from the people that you see just at your desk is very important. Not working in silos so much. Not that I've really heard that word used, but that's what I've got out of it. It's implied, isn't it? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, thanks. So I was listening to Professor Danny Sampson, um, who's from FBE, and he's a professor in management, and he was telling us all about how most individuals, when they're presented with a reward, either for themselves, it's quite a small reward, versus a bigger reward for the organisation, they'd often go for the one for themselves. And so that people, you know, refer to themselves as working at an organisation rather than for an organisation. It was interesting to change that mindset of, you know, I'm working for the good of this company rather than for yourself. So I found that very interesting. What have you got out of the conference? What's the take-home message and which session was it? I guess the take-home message would have been, I really love just meeting a lot of new people. And my favourite session would have been, I was just with the advancement team and they did a bit of a game show, a bit of who wants to be a billionaire. And so learning about advancement and kind of the work that they do. What was their take-home message? I think that everyone can be involved, even though as an alum, as a staff member, as a student, you still have that capacity to be involved and be part of the campaign. So we're all ambassadors for these campaigns. That's right. That's essentially it, isn't it? Yeah. My take-home message is to think about the we and not just the me. And how about you, sir? What's a take-home message for you? The university's come a long way in terms of Indigenous cultural awareness and education. I think the uh, Show Your Wares session was really interesting for me. They're really showing an example of how to collaborate across different teams and working together and how we can do that better. A big thank you to the organising committee who let us gatecrash the 2017 University of Melbourne Professional Staff Conference entitled Creating Connections. Thank you to the sessional speakers, the keynote speakers and the participants. And thank you, the listener, who never made it to the conference but listened to this podcast. Hey, stay curious. Your presenters were Claudia Hooper and myself, Andy Horvath. Audio production by Arch Cuthbertson. This podcast was made possible by the University of Melbourne. Is there something we should have asked you? Oh, that's an even better question. Um, what should have you asked me? No. <laughs> no. You heard that. You heard that from Dr. Susan Carlin and <laughs> about our interviewing <laughs> Melbourne University podcast. You rock. ticked every box. There's nothing left to ask. <laughs> I think we're done.